Hey everybody, welcome back to Swedenborgian Life Live. Tonight we're going to be talking about serpent symbolism, sensory experience, and Jesus' plan. And what we're going to do tonight is we're looking into a conversation we started in our previous program, The Purpose of Death. But we're digging deeper, particularly into this idea of the outermost sensory level being disconnected from what is spiritual and good and true, and Jesus reconnecting that. So mm. we're going to definitely dive in there, but we've got other things we're going to hear from the audience. Uh, we're going to see an interview with an audience member. We're going to try to have as much community as possible. But first, we should probably introduce ourselves. And as you can see, we have a special guest here. I'll get to her third. Uh, my name is Curtis Childs, and I'm your host. And this is Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey, Curtis. Thanks for coming. And then we have our friend Amy Jones with us. Thank you so Hi. much for coming. And Amy is, is going to come help us think a little more about the nature of death. And she is a perfect person to do that because she's an end-of-life doula. And um, what's an end-of-life doula? <laughs> Maybe I should have asked you before we had the show. But. Well, there, a doula means a woman, helping a woman. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, it has been, there have been birth doulas who help women giving birth. Right. And uh, using that model, um, there are now end-of-life doulas who help people at the end of their life give birth to their spirits. Oh, okay. Mm. So this is like the same mm. sort of stuff is necessary both as we begin and as we end. And I wanted to, to bring you on because the last show we were talking about the purpose of death and why, mm -hmm. why does something as, as hairy and spiny as the, the overall death phenomenon exist? And we were talking about you know, the pain of death, but really it's, it's not actually the pain of death we were talking about, because in your experience, death itself doesn't really hurt, right? No, this has not been my experience. And I've asked people as they're dying, are you in any pain? And they always say, no, not at all. And surprising, they're surprised sometimes. Mm. No, not at all. They, they expected they, it to be they different. They thought they, they would be, but yeah. 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 So what, okay, so the pain is really more what the rest of us go through. I believe that so, yes. They also might be experiencing emotional pain. Mm -hmm. It is hard to say goodbye. It's hard to let go right. of this experience <laughs> that we're having. And I think a lot of it is fear of the unknown, and that's part of the job of a doula, is to help them uh, learn about the process mm. and that it's not fearful, to help them see that this can be a really uh, beautiful transition. There was, a, I remember uh, Swedenborg talking to a couple people who had recently passed on, and he was saying, hey, guess what, you're, you're, you're being buried right now. And they're like, we're not, we're not being buried. Right. So, That's right. so, yeah. so some of this, I think, in, was Swedenborg's intent to give some education, just mm -hmm. like you're saying, because yeah. although it won't take away the, the pain for the rest of us surrounding death, uh, death itself doesn't have that same kind of pain. I think there's, we have to differentiate between physical pain Yep. Mm -hmm. and emotional pain, the pain of loss, which is what I, that's the pain I see is the pain of loss. Absolutely. Yeah, but really the physical pain not at that no, crucial moment. No. It seems like that no. shuts off or something. That's, and I know you, you had great. talked about being with somebody at the end of their life who seemed to report that she could feel the, the separating of the spiritual and the physical. I was with someone who could, was totally conscious and could tell me many things. Mm -hmm. um, I've also read this in books, uh, described as a body of light and a heavy body. She described it as, I can feel my spiritual body separating from my natural body. Wow. She could say that. And that wow, so obviously pretty lucid to be able to Very lucid feel all the way it. to the end, yes. Wow, yes. that's amazing. So if you guys want to go dig into that a little further, we have a couple of programs that might be of interest to you. One is called How Angels Take Care of Us When We Die, and the other is Does It Hurt? to die, where we talk to a paramedic who's been in all kinds of traumatic mm -hmm. death situations, but really, yeah. again, reporting, no, it's the rest of us that, that feel the most in these things. Um, what, so what we're going to do now is jump into the, the main topic of the show, which is how, you know, how we talked about Jesus Christ going through the death process as well. Mm -hmm. why, is, why does he do that? Why doesn't he just skip out on the whole thing? Uh, but it was for this important mission. Uh, connecting the lowest level of the mind up to, uh, sorry, I'm, this is too much. I, I feel like I'm not, we have to get a little bit looser before I'm ready to tackle okay. a topic like All this. Right. So let's Sounds do our, good. we have a custom around here where we do this thing called uh, an icebreaker question. Would you hang out and do that with us? Sure. All right, yeah. everyone, let's, uh, let's get a little loose through segment one. It's 
So this is the part where we create some community and you know loosen up our, our consonant machines by just talking a little bit about life. This is the life side of Swedenborg life. And the question that we have today, and we're going to answer it here, the three of us, to the best of our ability, and all of you in the chat room, answer it as well. Get, type and get your answers in there, and at the end, we'll look at everybody to see how our experience is the same, how are they different, and what can we gain from each other. So, this is the question that I've been talking up so much. What helps you feel connected to other people? It's mm. broad, but it's important, uh, and I'd be interested to hear what mm. what does connection mean to people and what gets you there so jonathan do you have any thoughts about that well my my first thought is almost sounds like a cop-out but i i have no idea <laughs> you know there's something what's there's cop a, out about that there's an atmosphere uh, or something where you feel like you're connecting with somebody and i think yeah. that's something spiritual mm -hmm. and kind of undefinable and i don't know why it happens sometimes and other times it doesn't but more concrete answers i would say is that um I do think honesty, people, a little self-disclosure, self-deprecating humor, you know, stuff like that can help to, to connect with somebody, yeah. uh, you know, rather than sort of a front or, or something that, that you're putting on. And also, interestingly, compassion, like when I've suffered more in a way, I feel more able to connect with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, another th uh, thing, I, am I allowed four answers? The, um, <laughs> you get one more. Uh, the, okay, one more. Um, is actually when I've given a talk or done something, put something out there. Okay. It's I think people feel more like they can connect with me because they they heard what I said or something. You know, so sometimes there's a feeling of connection after one party has put put something out there. You sure. Know, that they worked on or that they care about. And Absolutely. So, so we went from cop out cop out to five answers. Yeah, That's yeah. a pretty good swing. <laughs> okay. So Amy, what what is the, what does connection mean to you, and and how do you how do you feel connected to to people? I feel. There are different levels of connection, and my first place, I guess, of connecting would be what I would hope would be would be that we would share something. We would have a, a similar interest in something, um, a love, a passion of some kind. And if I share my own, and somebody else has that same passion, that's that's a connection. Absolutely. Sometimes it's you know laughing at the same joke you know and <laughs> and you click with that person because you just look at each other for a minute and you, <laughs> we both laughed you know so right. that's it we're the only two people that think this is funny, <laughs> funny exactly <laughs> yeah, right we must have something in common mm. yeah Ooh, i good. i agree with the, the shared interest piece and i find especially now that i've gotten a little older i feel like when mm. i was in high school i connected with whoever i thought was cool or like mm. would, would make me look cool or something but now when i think about people if they share some kind of passion that I share, like for example, if somebody wants to talk about Swedenborg kind of things and how do we get mm -hmm. this material to be more helpful for people, I'm like, clear my calendar. Like yeah. you, I, maybe we didn't talk much in school, but now I want to talk to you right, and exactly. I want to talk to you for a long time. So mm -hmm. I definitely think that's a part of it. And then also, um, I do find some of the spiritual principles I learn um, through Swedenborg specifically about um, not trying to feel like I'm more than other people. Uh, when, uh -huh. when, when I do some sort of like exercise and noticing my sort of unconscious arrogances in various areas mm -hmm. and, and when I'm sort of trying to push those out, I immediately like water sort of rushes in and like, oh, no, this person and I are just as good and you feel mm -hmm. this sort of, in like it's not like you and them, but you're now I have space mm. to, to connect with. That's them. good. Yeah. Like that. yeah, that's very good. Excellent, and you, do you feel like um, in, you must have some kind of special feeling of connection in in the work that you're doing, right? I mean, at, at the end there. I do, I do, and I, I don't. I think that's I, that's a gift. That's mm. it. That's I, I didn't know I had the gift <laughs> until it just kept happening to me. Mm. I'm comfortable in that room when someone is dying. I'm comfortable with the process, and I'm in awe of that. I'm in yeah. awe of that, and that's um, me being comfortable helps other people be comfortable. And do you feel close? I imagine there's quite a bond. It's such an intimate it moment is. in somebody's life. It's yeah. just a very tender moment. And, and not just the person who's dying, but also the family. The family. The family. And that's part of the role of a doula is also mm. to help the family to understand the processes and I think work that would things be a out sometimes. major part of it, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, I've been in situations where relatives were dying mm -hmm. and things, and having somebody like you 
there is such a help. I remember, mm-hmm. like, the nurses that are there, people who are, mm-hmm. are not in the family but are, are steady and know what's going on, infinitely helpful. So thank you for, for doing your work and also for helping us understand a little more what this whole death thing is, is you know, in its essence. So hope you'll s- stick around and, and, and watch some of the rest of the show. Sure. Thanks right. for having me. Absolutely. Okay, mm-hmm. everyone. Now we're going to, as I was promising, we're going to dig into this. How do you have Jesus Christ reconnect this sensory level to the higher levels, and how does that affect us today? We'll see if we can do it starting now. Nothing to see here. I mean, we didn't have to just move a chair out of the way or anything like that. That's right. It's not like his mic pack is muted right now or something like that. Everything's easy and effortless for us here on this show. So what we want to do here is go where we went last week. (laughs) Are you all right? Yes, I'm good. Thank you. Okay, sorry. Uh, It's not like I'm covering for him. (laughs) What we want to do is go where we went last week and then go farther and get to look deeper Mm -hmm. because hopefully you you go deeply into these what seem like details and technicalities, but you find something emotional in there. True, that's true. And and we're looking we're looking to expand on. Last week we talked about this um, event where humanity turned toward self-centeredness and materialism, and that disconnected sort of the sensory level Mm. from the divine. And Swedenborg will refer to something disconnected from the divine as dead or evil. I don't know which one of those you would would rather be. But we we talked about the, the five senses having that same problem. So a living thing can be dead. How could, how could senses be dead? Well, a living mm. thing could be dead when spiritual life goes out of it. So when there's no, mm. but, but <laughs> that still doesn't make any sense, because when would there not be spiritual life in the physical senses? Right. Can you, like, how does that work? Right. One, one point that, that it took me a long time to understand that this is what Swedenborg was talking about, okay. when he talked about people who are sense-oriented, mm-hmm. or even says sometimes sensual, and sometimes he can mean by that somebody who's very preoccupied with, you know, food and just sensory experience. Right. But sometimes he means that your whole attitude to life it, and what you consider to be real is based on what you can experience with the senses. So more like what we might think of as materialist or okay. that kind of perspective. In other sure. words, I don't see the spirit. I don't see angels. I yeah. don't see God. So those things couldn't exist. And anything you don't exist. Exists, Got That's it. right. That's okay, right. and then, but I also on the other hand, you know, it could. It, he also describes it as indulging in physical craving without considering the impact. So I. That's be, right. Because so there's like there's sort of an intellectual side of it, yeah. which is that side of what do you base your beliefs on, mm-hmm. and then there's the sort of emotional side of the craving, just letting the body run wild kind of thing, you know, whatever you want. Well, it's like I know I get a reward for whatever reason when I do this, some kind of chemical reward, and I don't care what what I do to other people to get that reward, that's when we become sense-oriented in, in an even more sinister sense. Yes, right. And, and Swedenborg says that after this fall of humanity, there was, uh, people generally became sense-centered. And that was because there was this corruption of the whole outer level of consciousness. And that's a problem. It sounds like a problem, but it's more of a problem even because all the layers are interconnected. So you mess with one, you're kind of messing with everything. Mm. This is from Spiritual Experiences 5552. Human beings make up the lowest plane, no offense, <laughs> in which heaven <laughs> finds its end point. Mm. This is because we have heaven in us and we correspond to heaven. The faculty of sense perception we have in the world is itself the lowest plane and so is the foundation on which the heavens come to rest, like a house on its foundation, because there is a connection of all things from first to last or lowest, and our faculty of sensation is relatively unchanging and stable. Mm, that's really, really interesting. So if you're going to have a multi-leveled reality, which seems to be part of God's plan in the first place... I think we're stuck with it. Something's going to be the outside. Yeah. You know, you're right. just something's going to be the outside. And the outside's going to be both a place of great power from all those levels coming down, but also if that turns bad, it's, it's really far, from, because by definition, it's the farthest thing from God. Yeah. So if that, if that turns away from God, 
then then it's really bad. And it, it, from the description in that quote, it's not like God was kind of punting on this lowest level. It's so important, and yes. it can serve such a wonderful right. role. But if it's not serving that role, we we, cut, we get all these um, sort of chain of event ramifications as it goes up. And when when the physical senses became all about self-gratification and the divine couldn't then flow through them or rest on them or find a home in them like it was supposed to, that's when it was like the, the serpent in the garden that caused all those problems. Mm. You know, we talked about, right. right, we talked last week about the serpent in Eden being a symbol of the physical senses. Right, right. And there was that snake had a curse on it, right? And that, what was that curse? Yeah, and it doesn't make sense to, like, why why curse a snake, you know? But if it's there's a rude. meaning to that <laughs> biblical story, <laughs> it's about the fact that that lowest level became cursed as it turned itself away, disconnected itself from the divine. Uh, the outer level is supposed to be the embodiment of love and wisdom coming all the way down. But when it turns away from that love and wisdom, yeah. then it becomes a, a, a whole world of misery and, and pain on the outside. So who's going to fix a whole world of misery and pain? It's got to be Jesus. And, and be. you can say, like, why you can't just link these two together. They have nothing to do with each other. But it's uh, right after the curse right. on the serpent that the very first prophecy of Jesus shows up. This is Genesis 3.15, and I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will trample you on the head and you will wound him on the heel. And this is God speaking directly to the serpent. Yes. Right? And that, that someone's going to come. It's sort of vague in the way that it's expressed. But, and, and I like the fact that it doesn't say he'll crush your head. It's yeah. just he's going to trample or in some translations tread, you know, just, yeah. just keep you down where you belong instead of rising up and taking over. And look at how it says. But it'll wound yeah. him, meaning Jesus, when he's in this world, that his heel, his outer self, will be affected by this, this sensoriness. That the, there's intrigue already because what kind of uh, prophecy is like, oh, well, I'm going to come get you, but you're going to get me good too. You know? <laughs> it's not like... You, you now no. you're in for it. This is not because we're not, not trying like a to superhero thing or something. We don't. It's yeah. not that God doesn't love the sensory level, even when it's disconnected. Yeah. It's not like it doesn't have an important role to play. So it was all always the plan was never to crush it, but it was to heal this severance, and that was immediately mm. set in motion when we first had the snake thing happen. Knowing that it was falling away, you had to have the remedy lined up already. That's something to reconnect it. That's right. The Swedenborg says it went this way. Spiritual experiences, four eight four seven. Through the Lord's divine human order was reestablished down to the lowest level of life. That's Jesus, right? So that divine human was coming down in the world. That was the remedy, which is the sensual. For the successive divine order had ceased to exist in the lowest things. Oh, I see. So the lowest things through that sort of pancaking series of levels. Yeah. That it, 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 through the whisper down the lane, if it, if it gets broken, yeah. that's ceasing to embody something divine on the outside anymore. Right. You know, you've just turned it to some other purpose. Yes. So, thus the divine, or let's see. That's it. Did I read that right there? Okay. Thus the divine had ceased to be present on the lowest level. This order was restored by the Lord so that the divine could reach even there. Ah, could reach all the way to the outside. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. That's like awesome. Having all read it and you co-read it. And if I slip up, you'll know where we are. <laughs> So this, and we're, we're sort of skipping over this huge event, which was this yeah. reconnection that Jesus did, but we really want to look at the, the effects of that. So we just, you know, take our word for it. Jesus did that. When he achieved this major reconnection, we now actually all have the option. It, not, it doesn't force us all no. to reconnect. That's right. But it created a path just where... Just made it possible. Right. And the possibility is described in Secrets of Heaven 9730. People who examine what their sensory level craves and what they themselves think think at the inspiration of that level are oh, said... Oh, those, those, those two parts we were just talking about, the cravings and the like belief system that goes with yep. it, right? Those two things. So if we're aware of that, we're said to rise above that level oh. and to be withdrawn from it and to think deeply. You think about the observer effect in meditation. Right, 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 right. This That's happens cool. today among people devoted to the good urged by neighborly love and by faith. Ah, so those are part of the remedy. Helps you get up so that you can see, even though what you're looking at is kind of distressing, like, wow, I have all these ridiculous cravings, yeah. and I have all these ridiculous beliefs, and so on, that seem to come from this level. And it's interesting, again, this, the love thing creeps into everything, that the way you rise above the level is not just through an examination of it, 
It's not through uh, feeling guilty. Right, or beating yourself up. It's if you have neighborly love. Like yeah. that, that's the way that that stuff suddenly doesn't fit your diet anymore. Uh-huh. You can see the contrast between yeah. where you are now. That's yeah. right. right. So the physical senses are supposed to never, not supposed to be kicked out. They're supposed to re- be reclaimed and become mm. that foundation for our right. spiritual self again. Uh-huh. And the physical senses are supposed to actually, each sense, Swedenborg says, is the, the correspondent, but also the support and the enabler of a certain kind of spiritual love that we have. Right, and this is kind of an interesting teaching because, you know, there's been various ascetic traditions over time and different religions where the, the way to be spiritual is to be deprived, right? That's right. N- don't, don't eat this, don't drink that, or just yeah. uh, don't be with other people, or don't, no dancing, no card playing, no watching movies, or whatever it might be. Or watch a whole internet show about Swedenborg to deprive yourself of joy. That's right. <laughs> so It's guaranteed. You would, so you would think, but, but not so. Mm. And that actually, things like beauty can be this conduit for yes, a spiritual... Yes, they're supposed to be part of the divine experience. Yeah, that's right. So can we provide an example, or is this all What theory? do you think? Okay, how about this? What do you got? Let's look at something beautiful. Oh, this wow. is a, actually a beautiful painting of a couple of swans, and yeah. it's, a, it's framed in a way that I find quite appealing. Uh, and there's, there's an ex- a prime example here of your sight and a deeper love in your spirit working together, if you get the full story on this thing. So sight, Swedenborg says, is supposed to correspond with and or act in concert with your love of understanding something. Huh. So it finds pleasure in symmetry and beauty, but in this case, I know that this particular painting was given to a couple who had just gotten married. And this was uh-huh. like, look at the, these birds are in love, you guys are in right. love. You know, it's That's probably right. more poetic than that. But knowing that, looking at this thing, it's not just how it looks, the pa- how the patterns strike the eye, but it's understanding what it symbolizes adds this extra layer of beauty to right. it. Right, and so it may be something you experience right at the time that you look at it, but we can also remember things that we've seen before you know, seeing, yeah. we, even when we say we understand, we say, oh, I see, That's you know, right. there, there's a connection there. And so our whole uh, sense of sight can be a basis for a rich understanding. And to feel acknowledged and loved is sometimes like, I feel like you really see me. Right. So, so there, there right. is this, the, the, all we're showing here is that, look, the senses can, can do really good things and can be this sort of holding hands with a deeper part of you at the same time. Right, right. Yeah, so feeding that love of understanding. So, if we were to say, listen oh, to the most beautiful sounds in the we world. We are fortunate tonight, friends. Let me tell you a little story. No, just kidding. So, just think about harmony, chords. Uh, Swedenborg says that the sense of hearing has to do with what he calls obedience, or you could call it complying. Essentially, you know what to do, and you're going to do it. Right, right. And so, just harmony which is kind of cool because harmony is a number of, st- those are different strings, but they're working together, they're in tune, right? And then it gives you a sense of what it is for <laughs> harmony between human beings, like you and me or, or someone. And they call it working in yeah. harmony, right? And that, that when you hear a song, you get taken to an emotional place, not like, hey, do you want to go? It's, we're going there right now. Right, and, and how important is hearing in relationships and friendships and so on? that when you hear, when you listen for the tone of voice, or if you're in a counseling situation or something like that, you know, being able to tell, oh, I hear a little catch in the throat, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you see, I see a sadness or something. Uh, that's so important too, to support that relationship. I hear uh, you, man. <laughs> thank you. Now, the next one is smell. And smell is the one that we use probably the least, but I think uh, at our own peril, because there's a lot of cool stuff when you start to, for example, this is a flower, and I'm really going to smell it. Do okay. Want, do you want to smell it first? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, everyone at home, take a big breath. And I found myself, again, in my later years, smelling flowers, whereas before yeah. I never used to. Yeah. And I find this flower smell awesome. It, it really does something to you, doesn't it? it it's, and more and more over time. It's just one, this time of year, I like to get a daffodil and, and just, you know, smell it and smell it. Yeah. Because it, there's something that you don't get to smell at other times of the year, and, and it just awakens all kinds of things in you. And the smelling is the linked with perception, the ability to tell what spiritually mm. whether something is good or bad, or harmful or helpful, or discern what kind of person someone is. And I think when I see flowers, I can think, okay, well, 
yeah, that's nice. It's a little frilly or something like that. But when I actually smell them, there's a part of me that says, this is great. This is powerful. Right. There is something real in here. And I wonder if that's this taking it beyond to where you can't quite understand it, but somehow you can perceive there's something more. It's a perception is a way to move beyond what you understand. Uh-huh. And people, even in other life situations, talk about a sniff test. Does it pass the sniff test? That's Meaning, right. Like, it just something doesn't smell right about this situation or something. Yeah. That's that perception that smell corresponds to. Yeah. And so when you have a basis, I mean, Swedenborg says that the sense of smell is a very powerful thing in the other life. And when you've had a basis, smelling bad things, smelling good things, uh, it, it's forming that whole outermost layer to teach us about spiritual things. Okay, spoiler alert. Our next one is going to be food, and I'm going to give away a little bit about oh, okay. the food. But All right. um, when Spir Swedenborg says that f spiritual food is essentially the, the kind of love that you participate in, whether it's affection for something good, affection for something negative, when we ha and so when we physically have food, let's say you have some kind of uh, thing that you made on Sunday, and it's Thursday now, and you want to know, can I eat this oh, thing? Oh, yeah, right. Often the only way to tell without putting yourself at risk of actually eating it is through smelling. Just to smell and it. And isn't that similar? Like there's times when just by looking at something, just by listening to something, you can't tell is this good for me or not. But this perception, this sort of deeper spiritual, which we're about to look at in another episode, that gives us this this um, this crucial insight into can this be part of my spiritual life? And it's astounding how reliable that you know, just on a physical level, the smelling it'll tell you a lot about. Well, it's, yeah, it's okay. Or it's not okay, you know, don't eat this. Speaking of don't eat this. Okay. This is everybody's favorite food. Oh, there it this is. This is coconut milk. Coconut Un milk. Unsweetened coconut milk. <laughs> what <laughs> what can be the most delicious thing parade. in the world? Yeah. So the, the think about when you're eating something that you like. I happen to like coconut milk. But um, the feeling, the satisfaction you get when you're ingesting, mm. what, what does that correspond to? Yeah, right. The, uh, Swedenborg says that to the angels wisdom, knowledge, things like that are actually food. They, they crave them, they want them. And we see this sometimes when we talk about the very satisfying, you know, listening to a talk or something like that, that we yes. found, or this information, you find an article on something you've been dying to know more about. And they're, oh, look, there's a, you know, yep. whatever it is. And, and you, you dive in there because it's so, it's like feeding you. And it's also so fun when you get into a situation where you're, eating and having a great conversation at the same time so you're getting fed on two levels at once is, is, is cool. You just saw it happen because I was really enjoying what Dr. Jonathan Rose was saying <laughs> about that and I sipped this coconut milk twice so I was getting that the, the worlds were lining up the sensory level good stuff That's was going cool. into me the spiritual level good stuff was going into me it was awesome. That's great. And That's then great. we're going to end with Ooh. a sense of touch mm. which, sense of touch, okay. which is we're going to cover in a couple of parts here. Okay. Because, okay. first of all, touch can actually act as a protector. Ooh. There is, you know, touch is the way you find out what's up with objects. Yes. I don't really want to find out with these, what's up with these ones in no, real time. they're sort of sending out a warning ahead of time. But Swedenborg says uh, there's actually a pleasure in not touching, too. Aha. Uh -huh. That I am... Like protecting yourself, like that's knowing, right. oh, danger and... and um, that, like knowing, like I, I shouldn't go all the way and touch this. From past experience of learning, no, these things are not good things to touch. That's right. So that, there's a pleasure in touch of avoiding danger. And so similarly, that your sort of spiritual sense of touch can be about which things in the spiritual landscape are pokey. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, Con what you should... Yeah, that's right. Contrast Have contact that. with and what you shouldn't. You don't feel that... So this, I don't know if oh, you guys have ever felt one of those things. They feel great. It's and so soft. It's not, you can, when I, feel, when I touch the thing, it's more than a sensory, there's meaning to the experience. Because it reminds you of something like love, when you feel something that's really soft. Mm. It's almost like the, the course, the difference between the physical experience, the sensory experience, and the emotional experience disappear. It just is like, this right. is obviously a word that says Love. This is that kind of plant, if you guys haven't felt it, it's like super fuzzy. Some people call it lamb's ears or something like that. Um, so touch can also be this, not like knowing whether something's good or bad, but this connection with the thing. Mm. And it's interesting that like when, when someone touches you on the shoulder or something like that, 
sometimes you can feel like if it's coming from a supportive place, yeah. it just feels great because it's coming all the way down from heaven onto that very concrete level that there's support, yeah. friendship, and, and you feel sort of strengthened by it. But Oops. if someone's kind of... It just happened. <laughs> you feel good? <laughs> it was, that was great. And uh, if, But if it's sort of manipulative or it's, a, right. you know, there can just be different or, or even kind of mean or sort of whap or something like that. Yes, know? like we did, like in rehearsal. Yeah, that's now, right. <laughs> that, and that's a great segue into our next section because you can, as we explain the senses and their positive and negative, negative uses, maybe we can start to see why the serpent, who is a symbol of the senses in general, uh, okay. is not always bad. It can, not in always, some no, traditions right. it's good, in some it's bad. Why is that and how does it further connect? We're going to take a look right now. So, don't be alarmed when you see <laughs> this is a second, you guys know. This is a real very, snake. Very frightening. I'm holding it right behind real the head so I can't snake, get anyone. Yeah. And when this is important because we need to talk about this Quite serpent. inert, but yeah. Now, if this, let's say this was a real snake, which it is, um, you could have different <laughs> reactions. I myself right. would would be kind of would be quite excited, provided it wasn't poisonous, because I like snakes. I yeah, have, I have a good memory of uh, catching snakes when I was little. I, I like I'm fascinated by the way reptiles are and how they're shaped and everything. Mm. That's one reaction, but not everybody feels that no, way about snakes. No, I'm not as as fond of them. I don't mind being right here with yeah. a snake, but but not as fond of them generally speaking, because they. I don't know, they seem sort of dark and yeah. evil or something, like the symbolism of them. Oh, and he, Indiana Jones didn't like snakes, and some mm. people have a, have a very hard time with the concept That's of a true. snake. And it's not just individuals, this is how it is in whole traditions. Mm. For example, you look at uh, you know serpents or dragons, these sort of derivatives of snakes. In European lore, these dragons are destructive and they're dangerous Bad and scary. And hoarding and stuff like that, yeah. yeah. But in Chinese lore, they're often beneficial spiritual positive energy and yeah. yes right vigor and and so on well it's the same thing with snakes you have for example and really a dragon is a sna i mean they're very snake like right it's, yeah. it's based on the snake right? oh they could get into like a snakes only club i think they, they could yeah but so let's talk about the actual snakes so you have greek mythology a pretty famous example of snakes being harmful what are we looking at on the top oh that would be medusa whose head Instead of having hair, she had living, venomous snakes. This is a myth mythological person, sure. you know, in, in ancient Greek mythology. But uh, if you so much as looked at her, you would turn to stone. So that's a very deadly negative image of, of snakes. On the flip side, on the bottom, in Australian Aboriginal culture, there was the myth of the rainbow snake, who was this beneficial creator mm. deity. And it could have been any animal, but it was a snake. A because snake something's the creator, yeah. To that. So these snakes mm. can be these symbols also of either poison or healing. Oh, that's right. You have a cobra. Like You just look at the picture of the cobra. Everybody knows, stay back. G.I. Joe's nemesis was cobra for a reason. Yes, look at that. But what's that on the other side there? Oh, yeah, that's that rod of healing, the rod of Asclepius, right? That the, the symbol of healing and medicine and health and so on. And you've probably seen that on the back of an ambulance. Yeah, because yeah, that's, that's right. part of the crest. That's that, sort of a universal symbol. Of, so why of, would of you, that. for branding, why would you, if you were medicine, why would you put a deadly animal? Because snakes can either be instruments of damage or of that's healing. Right. And that's right. And this brings us to our point, which is just like snakes can be harmful or helpful, things in the senses can be harmful or helpful. You think about touch. We were mentioning before right. that some touch can be as destructive as anything, whereas other touch, when it's used to express love, kindness, can actually be really healing yeah, for yeah. the mind and body. Enormously healing. That's there's, right. There's an article that we just have a little reference to here about the the benefits of touch. You know, we talk, we, there's been all these studies done about how the more you have love and contact, there's every very tangible benefits. Yeah. Yeah, that. yeah, it, it really seems to turn things around. And uh, this healing snake there is a biblical story, isn't it? Yeah, there's actually the story of Moses and the bronze serpent. Do you want to give the people a quick rundown? Sure. If I'm remembering this right, there were these fiery serpents that Moses is leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, and they all decide at some point that they 
are not having fun and they want to go back to Egypt. Yeah. You know, the whole idea was to get them out of Egypt, but no, they want to go back. And interestingly, at that moment, they st a lot of people tragically started to get bit by these fiery serpents in the wilderness. Mm. And the only thing that could help them was the, the Lord told Moses to make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and hold it up. And if people who had been bitten by the deadly snake looked at it, they were cured of the snake bite. And thousands of years later, Jesus equated himself with that in John when he spoke about, if I'm lifted up, here it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So you can see that the seeing in the original snake story in the Old Testament is equal to the believing here yeah. in, in the New Testament. And just like we could call someone a snake, or you can have God as a person saying, I'm just like a snake. I'm just like a snake. Yeah. It's just showing that the senses are, can be a wonderful, life-giving, healing thing mm. and then problematic. So why, why does all this go down? This is from Apocalypse Explained 581. Things on the sensory level, the outermost level of a person's life, are meant by the fiery snakes which ah. were sent among the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. So this would be things that appeal to you or that draw you in a certain direction in life. Getting the, the cravings or addictions or you know, godless beliefs or whatever they might be, right? But being healed of the bite of these snakes by the Lord's divine sensory level is meant by the bronze snake placed up on a pole at the sight of which the people revived. So in a way, you could say Jesus came to be that snake, that serpent, you know, to be the bronze. Because the bronze had a very good correspondence that it was goodness on that outermost level. And so by being good on that level, he could heal you of anything that was going on with your sensory level. And what I really want to know, based on all of this, is have we finally confused people so much that they, they're not with us anymore? We've been trying hard tonight. So, and we want to know right now because we're going to do our live Q&A. So just to recap, we're talking about God through this whole Jesus life, which included his death at the end, taking the death that had happened to all the external levels of oh, all of our minds right. and reversing that, you know, mm. sort of just like we're saying at the end of our lives in the physical world, we leave into a better spiritual life. You guys get all that? Or do you have any questions about anything else? We're going <laughs> to do our live Q&A section right now. If you're new and you're watching on YouTube, you're very close to being able to put a question in. All you've got to do is type them there. We've got people grabbing those and we get them to us here. Let's see if we can do three of these or so. The first question that we have today comes to us via Larry Ullery and he says, so God was mad because of what the serpent did. Why did it take so long for Jesus to come? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> because, okay, well, you know, this is going to happen. I'm going to get to it in a couple of thousand years. <laughs> So what do we think? Why, why, wasn't, why wasn't it right in the Garden of Eden? Why didn't we sort things out right away? And I would imagine that it's because uh, human beings are complex and God cannot just... Swedenborg goes on about how you can't just switch somebody. If you're, if you're a certain way, you can't be instantaneously changed into something you're not. There was this idea in Swedenborg's day of saving faith, that if you made a verbal confession quickly, that's, it would completely change you and you would be able to go to heaven uh -huh. right away. But Swedenborg says, no, change, just like change in organisms, there has to be a You think about a tree growing around a piece of a fence or something. It's a long thing that has to happen step by step in process or you risk the life of the tree. Humanity had grabbed onto the sensory stuff and it loved them. It wasn't going to let it go. So only very carefully and with you know, the kind of precision you do if you're trying to heal the body, it takes a long time to get there. So in human time, that's what it took. But yeah, please, yeah, right. To I, I, I think that's right. And there's, um, there's that idea with alcoholism and other addictions that you have to hit bottom. You know, you're not oh, yeah. ready. Like if you're sort of only halfway uh, into the full-blown stage or something like that. Maybe you're not really ready to give it up yet. But when it's really broken you, then, then, then you're ready. And obviously there's efforts to try to, as they say, raise the bottom to where it can hit other people without having to go so far down. Yeah. But I think there's something like that operative here. There's also something about, it's a rather complex concept, but Swedenborg talks about 
profanation, which is that if you're exposed at too early a time to concepts and you half buy them and you half don't, it's worse than not hearing them. Mm. And in a weird way, that thing had to run its course all the way down to the bottom. And then Jesus could come in at that point. But yeah. it was predicted that it was going to go that far, that all that time out. I know that's hard to, to well, justify, no, but... No, it's legit, because in the question it says, oh, God was mad, but God isn't... No, that's true. That's, I mean, that's the complicating factor in all this is God loves the snake. They're, 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 God loves that part in all that's of us. Right. And, and, the, and the, the, we, we get to co-author how life is going. So if we're yes. not letting go of something, it can't be done and faster than we want to. The way Swedenborg explains it, it's not that God cursed the snake or, or whatever. It's that we cursed ourselves when we turned away from God and got into that sensory level, just whole hog and not taking anything in from above. Are we, is this the Odyssey? Are we talking about the problem of evil? Or we're, we're like skirting around the edges of it. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's a great question, and uh, those are a couple of our thoughts on it, but obviously there's much more that could be said about it. Thanks so much. Let's look at the next one. This is from Pace Yourself, who says, According to Swedenborg, are Jehovah and Jesus the same being? What's the answer? Short answer is yes. Uh, Jesus was... Okay, next question. Yeah. yeah had a divine soul... Uh, but the product of a human mother. So during a lot of his earthly life, he had sort of a mix of divine and human characters, right. but he made the whole thing divine at the end of the story. And uh, what was within him, in his soul, in his spirit, was Jehovah. That's the same, yeah. same person. That was something that Swedenborg was adamant about, and, and he thought was a crucial distinction between the theology of his day which was the separate persons. That's right. But the That's right. He was really trying to differentiate his teaching from that. You know. And it was super important to approach this visible, relatable, human Jesus. Like, That's God. Go to God. You're not getting God's secretary if you go to Jesus. That's, <laughs> that's God. <laughs> that's really well put. I like that. <laughs> well, you like to get the get, get the boss on the phone. It's probably blasphemy, but it, but it matters that that the that you're not that the heart of God is right there. I yeah, mean, that it's in a form that we can understand exactly. and love and connect with. That, that's the that's the Im the express image, as it says in the Bible. Yeah, and there's all kinds of complexity. I mean, yes, there's Jehovah and Jesus and how they interact, which would have. I mean, if, if this desks that we're sitting at, if you looked at it at a molecular level, has this almost infinite complexity to it. God is going to be complex. God is not going to be a simple thing. Right. But still, God can be described as God is a single person. Yeah. Even with all that. That's right. That's right. There's our answer. What do you think? Type it in the comments, but we won't look at them just in case you didn't like it. Next question, please. <laughs> this is Scott Green who says, what if you don't have a certain sense? Smell, for example. Oh, man. I feel like I barely have smell. I can very rarely can I smell anything. Even if I get up close, it's 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 tough. So I'm not all the way in that category. But it's not like you know a lot of us probably are are clogged up in various ways. So are we missing out on something if we do? And I think this is sort of the, the classic question of correspondence. And if you don't have the thing that corresponds, do you not have the spiritual thing? Right, it? right, and that's so, definitely not the case. I, I recently, recently went through some upper cervical treatments for vertigo, and they actually gave me my sense of smell back. Like, it was really bizarre. I had almost no sense of smell really? before that. Yeah, and it, it started to come in sort of flashes. It was really weird, but it's nice. Like, you do feel a little more alive when you have more sense of smell rather than less. Yeah. But Swedenborg's really... They, so you can't do anything. Like, if your physical eyes are damaged and you can't see, what can yeah. you do about that, you know? Uh, but that doesn't mean that your mind is unable to see. Like Helen Keller was just had amazing mind, you yeah. know, like amazing powers of perception or something. Even though her physical senses weren't weren't missing, uh, I mean, weren't functioning correctly yeah. and everything. Well, I was just gonna say when Amy was here, she had a Helen Keller quote that That's we were right. looking at before the show, and we were ooing and on at just the perceptiveness of it yes. and the insight. So amazing. obviously, even though she was missing a bevy of senses she was operating spiritually on, on all cylinders. I think it's not necessary that these are useful tools, but the system is built in a way that you're, even if you're missing that sort of stuff, 
you can work around it. We did this this study into uh, Chelsea was doing all this research into sensory substitution for a show that we had oh, right. recently. That even if you lose your physical the sight, sense. your brain will it process can be other onto things. something yeah. else. Yeah, on your tongue or your back or something. And um, uh, definitely, the process of being alive in this world at this point seems like the longer you live, the the more the senses go. You lose your hearing, you lose your sight and your sense of taste and various different kinds of things. So, uh, but that's just all preparing us um, for the for the spiritual world and to shift over to those spiritual senses yeah. that are so vital. And I really do believe Swedenborg when he says that all that comes back and tenfold, oh, you know, sure. like all those senses are incredible yes. in the other world. So that life help is on the way. Life as we have it here is this very short um, sort of laboratory conditions to create the best foundation for a spirit that we can have. And Providence is very careful about equipping everyone with everything they need to form that. That's right. We're all going to get to live with all the, the full sensory experience of life. But if we don't have something, it's not that we're missing out on a chance no, to develop. Right. It's that... That's right. The way this is going to affect your life, somehow, in the end, it's not not saying it doesn't. Uh, it's not uncomfortable, but in the end, we're going to see. Oh, this this was for the best. And now I I remember there's a story that I used to go to this basketball camp. Uh, you know where they teach us how to play basketball when I was a little kid. And the guy who run it ran it was told this story year after year. I only won a few years, but I heard the story a couple times where there was somebody who had lost the use of their legs, and they, but they'd had it, but they had an accident and lost it. And so that person was getting near to death. And um, some people were asking him, you know, are you afraid to die? And he was saying, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to run for three days. <laughs> and, and isn't that guy going to have learned something about the preciousness of mobility right. that I'm never going right. to understand? That's right. You know, so I, right. and e even there, it's almost like he gained something mm. there. So anyway, great question. Let's yeah. do one more. This is Joe Dodd who asks, what about those who are fooled through their experiences, deceived, as it were, with a false sense? It's real to them, thinking it's good, but it could be bad? Absolutely. I mean, that, 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 is, mm. that is something that even extends to the spiritual, the, the world of the spirit, according to Swedenborg, has all kinds of appearances and deceptive uh, renderings of things, that you have to have this angelic sort of perception to get through it. And not only the, the spiritual world appears in certain ways, but even the physical world, Swedenborg says, if you look at it based on appearances, how things seem. Right. For example, it looks like the sun is really small and it moves around the earth and it's not that far away, but actually it's none of those things. It, it looks so small that you can blot it out with your thumb, like your thumb must That's be right. much larger than the sun. That's right. And uh, yeah, so there are a lot of fallacies of the senses. In your own senses, you seem huge and everybody else is relatively small. And yes. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's just a... Uh, we're all having to sort of undo those distortions all the time. But as you say, it even goes into the, the spiritual realm where there's, there's deception at that level. And, that would be and, the... And, and it's, really, it's really tricky. Mm -hmm. I, I sort of felt at some point after feeling like I'd been fooled on a few different things like that and thinking, no, I'm sure this is a good thing. And then it turns, yeah. oh, it's not a good thing. That was your contract for doing this show, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought at some point, well, if my heart's in the right place, I'll get up, dust myself off, and try to turn around. And, you know, they won't be able to keep me down indefinitely because yeah. you fool me for a certain length of time, but eventually maybe I'll figure it out. And there's all kinds of mounting psychological studies about the ways that our senses can be tricked. Yes. And also, though, the way... Or even false memories, all this kind of... Yeah. Exactly, yeah, false yeah, memories. Right. I remember this story on NPR about a guy who was doing a report on memory, and he had four brothers, I think, and him. And he, they would all remember events differently. And there was time, usually he would trust his oldest brother, because his oldest brother was oldest when it happened. <laughs> but there were times when he remembered an event so clearly that he had to discount his brothers and just write I, it I read a memory. whole book about this, and it almost seemed as though the more certain you were, the less true your memory was. The person who wrote the book had had this experience of listening to a baseball game when the uh, Pearl Harbor attack happened. Yeah. But the Har Pearl Harbor attack happened at a time of year when there isn't baseball games. And he had this yeah. absolutely definite <laughs> memory that was absolutely not true. 
Yeah. So, so I guess. Yeah, it's very, it's very, it's a little unsettling when you really think about it for any length of time. No, we I really need that divine truth coming down to set us straight. I think it's settling because yeah. I know that there's been so many things that have been built up in my mind, things I've seen, things I've thought were going to happen that are used by hell as this way to keep me nervous and miserable. Right. And the idea that nope, any of that can be the truth, there, any of that may be replaced uh -huh. by the truth at any moment. I find that that gives me power. To think so there's that. a healthy kind of doubt that you have doubt. about this. Yes, because I've developed a certain kind of doubt. Like they'll say, you've got to do this. You've got to do it right now. Yeah. And I, no, I, I don't. The and that's probably a bad idea if you're feeling that urgent about it. At the core is the Word. The core is these, these truths about God, life after death, all this the spiritual reality. And then we, when that lines up with the physical, it's good. But the physical is going to try to distract you and, and bend things and all that. But you got this core in that love is what's important. Everything's going to be okay. Mm. That, that's the reality. Yeah. Or that's what I think anyway. Great, everyone, thanks so much for your questions. And we, we love getting to hear a little bit of what you're thinking about. And now we want to do it in a more extended way. We're going to get to spend a little time with one of you in section five. We're going to meet Christian Swenson now, who is a graduate student at Brigham Young University. And he wrote to us saying that Swedenborg has really helped him as a person with Asperger's. Oh, so, so got, interesting. Yeah, I got to sit down with him for a little while, and he had a really intriguing take on not only what Swedenborg has meant, but he also, the, the number, when we were doing all these examples of different sense things, we pulled that out of this number in the book, Married Love. Okay. And he comments on that very same number here uh -huh. and the impact Why it not? had on him. So here's what, what he had to odds? say. Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm really excited to get to talk a little bit to Christian today. I'm looking forward to hearing sort of how his Swedenborg story unfolded. Christian, thanks so much for taking a, a moment. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. And so, I, yeah. I mean, before we were talking, you said that, that you'd been watching our YouTube stuff for like five years which is an amazing uh, feat of endurance. So how did uh, <laughs> you come across the program in the first place? So I was looking up on Wikipedia, uh, Jorge Luis Borges. Have you heard of him? I've heard the name. Yeah, he's, the, he's a Latin American uh, magical realist author who really likes Swedenborg. Oh, cool. And he, I was looking up because I was in a magical realist class at the time uh, at the college that I was going to. And... I looked up on Wikipedia, the thing on the side, you know, it says influenced and influenced by, and it was influenced by, I looked at Swedenborg. I, I remember seeing his name a long time ago, um, but I clicked on it and I really was fascinated by him because I looked at him and he was religious and he was, he was profoundly religious, but also deeply philosophical. And I was a philosophy major at the time. Um, I, I graduated as a philosophy major, but I'm in grad school now in a different field. So, but I was looking at that and I, it really just struck me and it struck me in a really deep, profound, transcendent way. And I got hooked and I've never been unhooked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So that's cool. So you, you found Swedenborg and you stuck with him. So I, I want to know, you know, why are there other particular ideas that have made a, a difference for you in, in his philosophy? Well, um, I'm uh, a Mormon, a Latter-day Saint. So um, what is really cool about that is that Swedenborg shares a lot of theological similarities with Mormonism in ways that are really, really profound, like the idea of marriage in heaven, the divine human, that idea. It's all very, very resonant for me. Um, I'm actually a teacher at Brigham Young University right now, and I kind of worm Swedenborgian ideas into the curriculum. <laughs> nice. Yeah, which is cool. I don't know if they notice, but I do it anyway. But Swedenborg is, is he's, he's, he's really, he's, he's like a philosophically nuanced version of the theology I grew up with. So it's, it's really, really cool in that way. And another thing that really gets me and that is really profound for me is that he almost reminds me of what it's like to be home in a certain sense. Um, because I really for ever since high school, I've been upset at the idea of space and time. I didn't use those words. I used the word separateness. I, I found it profoundly absurd that the world would be, that would be built on separating you from other people. You know, it's like, you're over there, I'm over here. To be together, we need to be separate. What kind of jerk would design a world like that? 
you know, it's, it's really, really, it, it really, really upset me for a long time and I couldn't even articulate what I wanted in the first place until I found Swedenborg and his idea that the spiritual world is predicated on emotional state, that is predicated on togetherness, that in the spiritual world you are together with everyone by the nature of things, and that space is only an appearance there, which comforted me and it made me realize that I'd been longing for that place since as long as I could remember. So yeah, I guess that's the best answer to your question I could give. Yeah, it's wonderful because yeah, it does seem almost artificial, this yeah. separation we experience here, but to hear that at the core of it, there's another chapter that's very much like you think life should be. Mm -hmm. I, that must have been cool. Good. So, so what's, um, you say you were introducing a little Swedenborg in your curriculum. Has everyone, anyone ever said, wait, what's this? Or anyone ever called you out on it? No, nobody's called me out on it. I, what I normally say is that, um, well, I kind of get them into a trap. Well, I don't put them into a trap. That's how <laughs> I to say it. I, I, I just, I, pref I, I amaze them with the similarities and then I go from there, you know, and then they're kind of dumbfounded and they feel homesick in the same way I do. One thing that's really cool for me, um, well, I, I was diagnosed with Asperger's as a young, at a young age. And so what was really interesting for me, is really traumatic for me, is the separateness idea. The idea that you are disconnected from other people by the very nature of things. And other people don't seem to feel that way. You know, people don't at least treat it with that absurdity and that level of meaning attached to it. And I realized that maybe the reason that was is because of, well, the sense of touch, to put it bluntly. I was reading Conjugia Love right here, you know, the marriage love book, mm -hmm. older translation. And he has a little passage that talks about how um, the love of touch is the sense, it, touch is the sense that is proper to marriage love. And that Conjugia Love or marriage love is expressed and manifest in the sense of touch. Um, and he says, you can see that obviously in like married couples, but he also mentions that it's like an infants, you know, infants, if they, um, if they aren't touched and they aren't handled and they aren't stroked and cuddled by their moms, they don't develop properly. It's almost like as if the touch is imparting a sense of self to them. Because he mm -hmm. says in this passage in Conjugia Love 210 that, um, the sense of touch is from the love of knowing objects, from the love of looking about and of self-defense. And it made me realize that what that is, is it's a sense of self, a delight in having a form, a delight in being a being, you know, and that's what touch gives you is that ability to circumspect and to be what one is and to find delight in that. And when I realized that, I realized that I kind of had a way forward. I was able to, not just in the next life, but in this life as well, experience the delights of not just being on this side of my skin, because in that sense, I feel like I'm way bigger than I actually am. I feel like my skin isn't actually there, and when other people are like resisting me or like moving in another direction, or, you know, that's the classic autistic thing. If somebody moves a piece of furniture and they feel upset, I felt like if I were to inhere in my form to be what I was, and delight in not just being myself, but in a certain sense, through touch, existing on the other side of touch, and not just touch, but the other senses too, I could feel at home, even here. And he seems to suggest that, that Kandrujia love is the parent of all loves, and that touch is, in that sense, is the parent of our existence in the world. Because, you know, like you mentioned a few times, like, that touched me, you know, touch is at the core of our experience in the world. And so, yeah, that's something that really changed my life recently is reading Conjugia Love and realizing that path forward of existing on both sides of the boundary of skin through touch. Beautiful. Vocal touch, yeah. I love it. I love, I love what you, you had that and then you, pull, you, you sort of saw this extra layer of application and meaning in there. And that's, like a, that's an idea that I can see is, is really profound and powerful. So thanks so much for, for sharing your insight no here with us. No problem, yeah. Wonderful. Good. Well, I, I'm so glad that, um, that you're feeling like the, the Swedenborg concepts have been a home for you. And thanks so much for, for, uh, for watching the show and for being willing to, to come and talk a little bit about uh, your life and how things have affected you.
Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So powerful, positive message about touch and what and what the senses can be in that light. I, I really like the emphasis on um, the the sense of being, and I feel like I've seen that with with grandchildren and other little kids that they just sort of get loved into being. You know what I mean? Right. They they sort of become something as as they're loved, and and uh, so I thought that was very powerful the way you phrased it, and very well suited to this show tonight. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and thanks so much, Christian, for taking a little bit of time to, to talk to us. All right, and now let's talk some more to all of you. Well, I mean, in the you as you were 50 minutes ago, because we're going to get to our ice melter and hear how you responded to the initial question. Hold. All right, this is no joke. We're really going to read everybody's responses. All right. Let's get into it right now. Let's see what people had to say about the question, what's something that connects you to other people? Here's what they had to say. Communication helps me feel connected to others. True listening and true sharing. Mm. Next, sharing an experience or occurrence. When we agree, love, if you've ever heard of it. A feeling of authenticity and love for me. Having something in common, something we can both relate to. Oh, that's great. Laughter. Mm -hmm. I feel connected with others when I've helped them in some way. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Sharing our struggles as well as our joys from the heart. The eyes. Looking people directly in the eyes. Isn't that true? Yeah. I focus on the good that people do when I am trying to mine for compassion for them. The good they do. Yeah, that's great. That's right. Humor and playfulness. Mm. Eye contact and saying hello. I feel connected to others because I spend time with them a lot. Time is a good one, yeah. Picturing the ways that we are the same, even if it's just that we're both breathing the same air. Oh, that's good. I never think about that. Yeah, that's yes, good. common experience is a good connection. Mm. Empathy, seeing people go through experiences I have gone through or seeing them have emotions that I have had. Humor, definitely, shared interests. Also, I know my intentions towards others are good. If I feel someone else is positive and loving, I am drawn to them. Mm. I feel uncomfortable around judgmental or competitive people. Nice. Doing things together, quiet time, do I feel connected without talking or am I nervous? Mm. Humility is important. I connect to people who lessen, who get what I, who listen, who get what I'm saying. I connect to people on the Bible who can agree as well as different views. Yeah, that's right, good. With a shared interest. Coming to understand someone who is authentic. Mm. I don't feel connected to a lot of people, but knowing God loves them no less than me is a silent connection. Yeah, I go to that one sometimes no, myself. No, that's, that's like the, the yeah the internal like the you sort your out your own mind and then you feel a connection and there's also interaction to connection. What makes me feel connected to others is trying to look at everyone as having another piece to life's puzzle. Oh, that's good. And getting them to talk about themselves. Mm. Connecting through what's mutual and what can be reciprocal. Mm. I feel a connection with people who are sensitive to the feelings and needs of others, spiritually sensitive and wise, like an old yes, soul. Right. I see everyone as my brothers and sisters. Mm. That makes it easier for me to connect with them. I give them the benefit of the doubt. That's good. We tend to be more loving naturally to family members. <laughs> that's a great point. Most of the time. Yeah, that's really great. Well, whatever the connection thing is, I feel connected to all of you out there. However we did it, however we got there, I guess it was through talking about how Jesus Christ restored the sensory level of the outermost that was probably nature it. of consciousness. And Must have been. So thanks everyone for sharing that with us. I, if you guys want to be connected to our progress through YouTube's algorithm, would you mind liking and subscribing? <laughs> if you subscribed and you don't click the little bell, you won't get notifications. So to really connect to us, subscribe and click the little bell right next to subscribe button and if you want to make programming like this possible please consider supporting us on patreon that's a way that you can give just a little bit a month to help make a nonprofit like us make this and we'll give you a little behind the scenes clips and things like that to connect further as a little thank you if you do that right now if you sign up as a new person or increase your pledge we have a five to one match going so your gift will go five times mm. as far towards helping us connect with other people Dr. Jonathan Rose, pleasure hey, as always, Curtis. man. It's been that awesome taking this journey with you and taking the journey with all of you as well. I have an important announcement. So we usually we would just tune out at the end of the show here, but this is the announcement. This Friday, we are doing another live show. Oh. Friday at 7.30. That's no. correct. 
Yep. Is that seven, se Friday 730. at 7.30 Eastern Time? That's we right. are doing the Swedenborg Foundation's annual meeting. We are going to be broadcasting a live episode of Swedenborg in Life from Glencairn Museum where we'll be doing the annual meeting. So if you tune in on Friday at that time, you will get to hang out with us live, Friday, 7.30 Eastern. If you want to just tune in Monday, that show will be up and recorded for anyone to watch anytime. But just letting you know, it's the annual meeting. If you've ever supported Swedenborg Foundation, learn more about what you're supporting. If you're just finding us, what, what's wrong with them? What are they? Come see us then. And, and it's a pretty cool show we got lined up. And he says it's cool. Say. It's got to be cool. Everyone, thanks so much. And we'll see you Friday or whenever you tune in next. Swedenborg in Life is Amy Aquarola, Morgan Beard, Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Matthew Childs, Alexa Cole, John Connolly, Cara Dom, Chris Dunn, Stuart Farmer, Ben Keyes, Reed McArdle, Chelsea Odner, Jonathan Rose, Shiloh Silverman, and Shada Sullivan.